So all these H-1B visa holders, they did also apply for a green card, which is basically the thing that will let you stay here longer. And they're saying that even though their green card applications have all been approved, they have to wait up to 150 years to get that green card. So all these Indian workers are mad because, yeah, obviously everyone's going to be dead by the time it happens. It's like, you know, we talk about Asian people, you know, aging gracefully, you know, Asian, not raisin, but Asian, you know, they, they still die. You know, Asian still die. <laughs> Asian still die. Okay. Hashtag Asian still die. <laughs> that's, that's why a lot of the major Asian religions feature uh, reincarnation is so you can get your green card. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to the Politically Asian Podcast, where two Asian-American comedians talking about politics and the Asian-American community in hopes of getting more Asians to talk about politics. We're coming at you live from Brooklyn and Alabama. My name is Aaron Yin. My pronouns are he, him, and you can find me on social media at Aaron Flarin. That's A-A-R-O-N-F-L-A-R-I-N. And my co-host, Hey, my name is Jerry Lim. My pronouns are they, them, and you can find me across the internet at Jerryaki. That's G-E-R-R-I-E-Y-A-K-I. Amazing. So before we go into the news, you know, we always start the podcast off with our opening segment, Practice What You Preach. You know, on this podcast, Jerry and I, we talk a lot about politics, but it's also important to do things. So each week, Jerry and I share one thing that we did in real life, related to politics and organizing. So this week, I'll go first. Um, for listeners who may or may not know, um, I do organizing uh, in Chinatown and the Lower East Side with um, this group called Youth Against Displacement, um, as well as the Chinese Staff and Workers Association. Uh, Youth Against Displacement, we had a meeting yesterday night. It's like a monthly meeting just to catch up on all of our different fights and the different projects we're working on. Um, yeah, it was pretty nice to just you know, hear what's going on with um, different tenant organizing at Nickbacher Village, some stuff with like the Mocha picket line. And then the final thing, the new thing that we talked a lot about was this music and poetry night that we're doing uh, in the middle of January at the People's Forum, uh, oh, just cool. to get more people involved and also just raise funds for any future legal fights we might be involved in. Cool. Yeah, yeah. that was it. <laughs> All right. I mean, that sounds like a lot. Uh yeah, I've, I've always wanted to go out to the People's Forum. When is, do you know when that fundraiser is or like the Music Poetry Night is? Yeah, it's the Music Poetry Night. It's on January 19th. Um, I would say if anyone here is a fan of Jenny Zhang, the author of Sour Hearts, she will be performing there. I think she's going to be reading a few things. Um, oh, cool. If you're into that, there's also just music and other poetry. But yeah, that's, that's like a preview of what's happening January 19th. It's a... Thursday from 6 to 9.30-ish. All right. No open mic, no comedy? <laughs> <laughs> no, man. That, yo, that's what I, I was like, yo, if you want me to do a set, you know, like, <laughs> I got you. Yeah, there you no, go. No, 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 no. <laughs> You'll do impressions. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah um, no, for now. I mean, maybe, but I, I think the group that put it together, they, I don't know how exactly they found the people, but they kept it mainly to music and poetry. Okay. Cool, cool, cool. Yeah. How are things going on your side? Yeah, so um, I'm at home for the holidays. I'm the Alabama part, <laughs> and um, I feel like I feel like when I'm with my family and stuff, it's more like, all right, I'm not gonna be doing any like organizing. It's more like 
the hard work or the actually doing something, the praxis is like having conversations with people. And um, let's see, I just had lunch with some family friends and they're not like they to me in my head, they've always been like the STEM kids who hate English and the humanities or whatever. So it was really interesting to hear them like bring up and talk about race um, <laughs> without any prompting. Um, thought that was interesting. Um, and then uh, what else have I talked about? Oh, I, I talked with my mom. We've we've talked about how um, she didn't know that minimum wage, like the waiters make, they have a different minimum wage. Um, Alabama minimum wage is like $7.25. And I think for for wait staff, it's like two two dollars plus tip. Yeah, she didn't know yeah. that those were separate. She didn't know those were separate. Um, so that's that's been fun. And then I guess like with my dad, I I, <laughs> I told you this the other day, but apparently my dad listens to the podcast, which I was like, I've never talked to him about it. I never told <laughs> him that like I do this. So uh, if you're listening, hi dad. But um, hello, Mr. Lim. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's cool. So yeah, just a lot of talking. <laughs> I actually think, you know, talking to people about this does count as, you know, that's a huge part of organizing. Like within YAD, like a lot of our our overall goal within these different fights for displacement is, you know, changing people's hearts and minds and like teaching them about displacement. Like how does a large luxury tower impact your rent and, you know, push you out of the community over time? Mm -hmm. um, I think I think talking is like, I count it as like a form of organizing. You know, base building is... Maybe what some okay. people call it. it. It depends like what circles you run in, but um, that's cool. Okay, I was most curious about the the STEM STEM friend race discussion. Oh, okay. Like what, uh, what, what prompted this thing? Did they get mistreated by their boss at their STEM company or something? No. So like, um, it was interesting because my friend has lived in his neighborhood, and it is like on the. It's like known as the quote wealthy neighborhood. I feel like every town has one um mm -hmm. and he went to the country club um <laughs> that, which is how you know he, he went to the country club with his his friend his korean friend and oh uh, korean friends in the co oh we're making it now <laughs> yeah but but I like thought, i thought this friend was gonna be white no 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 so like they they played tennis at the courts both of, uh, my, my family uh, friend is filipino and my, mm. his friend is korean and he said that they got stopped like they they were the only ones that like the staff like went up to and checked for um uh country club membership and they got oh. booted yeah, oh. and, he, and he was like oh yeah we were the only asian asian ones there so i feel like that has something to do with it and i was like this is coming from the guy like whoa you know what i mean like i've never <laughs> whoa <laughs> yeah i you know i never expected someone would like you know, awaken at a country club, but you know, it is what it is. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yeah. to, to gain some consciousness while at one of the wealthiest places in like any city in America, the country right. club. Uh, wait, so well, were they... it, it's to be fair, he didn't have, they didn't have a country club membership, so they were definitely trying uh... to mooch for, you know, but like, <laughs> yeah. it's like, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yo, like the white people playing right next to us also aren't members here, but mm -hmm. you know, you're not checking their card yet. <laughs> Exactly. Uh, bro, look at their shoes. They're clearly poor. Like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. Okay. Well, um, I mean, did, did, uh, so, I mean, I know y'all talked about it, but did he leave the conversation with like, uh, I don't know, like a newfound view of anything? No, I think it was, 
it was mostly just like I think it, <laughs> I think it was mostly for me. It was just like, oh, okay, like it's like interesting because I'm. This is the guy who like when we were in high school and like growing up, he told me like, oh, he hates like the humanity class. Like he hates English and stuff like that. Um, mm. The class, not the language. I mean, the language sucks, yeah. but like the class um, because there are not. It's there's not always like clear cut answers like the way there is with like more often in STEM classes. And I was mm. like, oh, so like you you know like you're you're just to hear you talk about race is like really like it feels like what what goes harder than a 180 because whatever yeah. that is you know? yeah, yeah. uh i'm not sure if anything does but i get what you mean yeah he, like he's he's very much like one of those like when you hear like oh asians are apolitical like that's this is like the kind of person that i would think uh, of you know what okay. i mean yeah so, exactly i know what you mean Okay, well, I guess he he might still hate English, but he is more of a fan of social studies, maybe now. After yeah, this. maybe. <laughs> <laughs> cool. All right. Well, let's get into the episodes. So this week in Asian American politics, we're first going to start with some updates. Um, so the first up we we have is around Indian tech workers. So the headline is Indian tech workers in Silicon Valley protest immigration discrimination. So basically, right now, um, you, you know, they're, they're, the whole situation with tech is there are a lot of layoffs, a lot of H-1B workers looking for new jobs so they don't get kicked out of the country. But meanwhile, a lot of current H-1B holders might also get kicked out of the country um, or, you know, because they have to wait for a very, very long time for a green card. And it applies to workers in India specifically. I think I'll I'll just start there. I feel like I've been talking a little bit. Jerry, what is one thought you had about the situation? Bad. I mean, <laughs> I I so I learned that um there are apparently caps for like how many visas they can hand out from per country. So like mm-hmm. for people from China and and then there's a quota for people from India and then so on and so forth. And it's 7% pretty much across the board. Oh. Um, and uh I don't know. Like when I was like reading about this and I feel like I'm going to get canceled for saying it, but like, it kind of feels like what Asian Americans who sue Harvard think is happening to them. You know what I mean? Like the whole, like, Mm. Oh, quotas, like blah, blah, blah. And there was like a quote that was like, treat us based on what skills we bring to this nation and not necessarily based on where we were from. Like, it feels like very much Uh, similar energy, Uh, meritocracy, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Yeah. Not to say yeah. that this is off. Like this is obviously very awful, and like I hope these people, you know, get yeah. get jobs and blah blah blah. But like it does feel kind of similar. What did you think? Yeah. No, I mean for context, yeah, I know we talked about the tech layoffs in the beginning. Specifically, like Indian tech workers were like the majority. I think at like it's like sixty seventy percent. Like they they are like they hold a large majority of current H one Bs and visas. So it's like I. I you know, like, obviously, I get why they're mad, but it's also like y'all already basically taking up the, the bulk of it. Like, even 7% for India is still, like, a larger than, like, 7% for um, different countries depending on their populations. So, I mean, yeah, I, I kind of see what you mean. Um, I was surprised just to learn about the time. Uh, so, you know, all these H-1B visa holders, they did also apply for a green card, which is basically the thing that will let you stay here longer. And they're saying that, even though their green card applications have all been approved, they have to wait up to 150 years to get that green card. So all of these Indian workers are mad because, yeah, obviously everyone's going to be dead by the time it happens. 
I was like, yo, when I read that, I was like, true. It's like, you know, we talk about Asian people, you know, aging gracefully, you know, Asian not raisin, but Asian, you know, they, they still die. You know, Asians still die. <laughs> Asians still die. Okay. <laughs> Hashtag Asians still die. <laughs> Asians still die. It's like we have, you know, Japanese people I like see on Next Shark sometimes they live to like 120 something and that's like the max, but... I don't think anyone's hit 150 yet. That's that's why a lot of the major Asian religions feature uh, reincarnation is yeah. so you can get your green card. <laughs> yeah, that's so fun. That's so funny. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Yeah. Um, definitely a shitty system. I it, it yeah it it really makes me sad because I mean like I feel like they do pretty much everything you know like it's like when you hear people say like oh why don't these people immigrate legally or like why don't they come here legally and it's like well this is this place is kind of a mess yeah legally it's not even good yeah yeah (laughs) Yeah. um with green cards or sorry with h1b holders this is pre-green card one thing i did not know and i'm like i feel like the only reason they mentioned is because it could happen is if an h1b worker dies their whole family has to leave the country. Yeah. I was like, yo, like in this case, like you are literally carrying your whole family in terms of like being allowed to be here. That's, that's a lot of pressure, you know, you know, symbolically we were like, oh, you know, you might be the, the sole person already providing financially for your family, but also you're the person providing legally for your family as well. That's like, that, that sounds very stressful. Yeah. That part made me like pretty sad to, cause like, I don't know. It's just like not only do you have to deal with the loss of a family member, you have to do paperwork, like more paperwork yeah. than you already have to do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, I mean, I do like the fact that, you know, we have Asian people actually coming out and, you know, protesting. Yeah. Um, I, I saw the videos. It was about like 10 to 15 of them, and they went directly to their representative's house outside. I'm like, that's cool. I did see that. Yeah. 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 It's a congresswoman of District 19 in California. So San Jose name is zoe uh zoe lofgren uh some demographic context she's a white woman 75 <laughs> years old and democrat and democrat if that uh, you know we, we could take bets on whether she'll listen or not my vote is no but <laughs> yeah so i i saw that they were protesting because of um they wanted uh the workers want this bill called um the eagle act uh hr 3648 blah 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 um i think they want to bring it to a vote um and supposedly the Eagle Act will it claims to fix employment based immigration systems while also protecting American workers. I personally get nervous when anything is named something vaguely patriotic, right? Like <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah, it's yeah. just oh the Eagle Act, like the uh, no, stars yeah. and stripes yeah, Bill, yeah. you know, like yeah. stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh my god. It I mean, literally it reminds me of the the Patriot Act, you know, with the yeah, Patriot yeah. Act, the yeah, whole yeah. modern modern Muslims after nine eleven. Yeah, I mean, has there ever been a more conservative bill? Truly, truly. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. But yeah, the, the basically Indian workers don't want any cap on them and so I see exactly what you're saying about affirmative action, that early discussion, because it's like, yeah, there might be workers from other countries who like they're they're getting their representation in terms of tech because of this law. And yeah. Indian workers are like, we want a bigger slice of the pie, even though we already have like seventy to eighty percent of this pie. <laughs> <laughs> like, you yeah. just want the fucking <laughs> yeah so like yeah. i was i was reading over the bill pretty quickly i didn't really get into details because it sounds really technical i was like how are you going to protect american workers while also fixing this system blah 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 yeah um but i thought it was really interesting because opposition 
to the bill sounds somewhat similar to like the whole Harvard Harvard affirmative action arguments, right? Like the opposition was saying that like it would make immigration solely Indian and Chinese and not give opportunities to other immigrants, which does include other Asian people. Right. So, yeah. 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 We'll see. I mean, some cons basically there, uh, I'll say the main pro is like, you know, I love seeing people just come out in real life to protest, you know, for something you care about. I always have a little bit of respect for that. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, also staying in California, we covered this a couple weeks ago in regards to the Boba guys. They were accused of uh, union busting. They are closing their original store in San Francisco, like the first Boba guys ever. They're closing that store. Um, And then like, I think a secondary one nearby. Um, Yeah. What did you think? Yeah. And so for context, this is also where the union busting happened. So... To me, I was like, okay, now we know you are guilty. You know, it's like, <laughs> this reminds me of that story we talked about in New York City with Trader Joe's Wine Shop. Oh, yeah. You know, like, it's a very popular area. The workers there try to unionize. And then, like, a week or less later, Trader Joe's just closes the entire shop and makes up a reason for the cancellation other than, you know, unionizing. And it's like, no, that is, you know, textbook. Like, you're you're closing it because your workers are trying to organize. Um. I thought it was really funny how they said like, oh, you know, this decision was very, very hard and we're we're willing to transfer all affected employees to nearby boba shops. And <laughs> I thought that was funny because it's like, yo, come on, like most likely you're just going to transfer them over there and then continue to monitor them over audio for any union busting. Yeah, I, but like... Yeah, I guess, like, I'm kind of interested about that last piece, the whole, like, oh, we offered to transfer affected workers to other Boba guys. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of curious about, like, what's going to happen there. Like, you hire them, and then you're like, ah, oh, these were the union busters. Now we can fire them just for being shitty, emplo- shitty, quote, shitty employees. I don't know. I'm suspicious. Yeah, I mean, I... I I think it's just to me, to me that's like a clear sign that they they did something wrong and they and they're just trying to squash it by separating people. Mm. Um, I guess the other way it could go around is if each of these separated you know people who are trying to unionize they just unionize their new Boba guy shops. So yeah, that's true. <laughs> we'll, we'll see how it goes. But yeah, yeah, I'm like you know TLDR for anyone is just Google Boba guys union busting, Google Boba guys racial discrimination. And Google Boba Guy's Andrew Yang drink for more context, but just just get Boba from anywhere else besides Boba Guy's. I feel like I haven't seen like a Boba Guy's in a while. Do, do you feel? Do you drink a lot of Boba? I drink a lot of Boba, so like I I feel like I never get them. Like I, yeah. it's not even like oh don't go there because like they're union busters. It's like where do I go to avoid it? You know, like I haven't seen, yeah, exactly. seen one in a while. We're, we're, we're naturally boycotting Boba guys already. Like we just can't find it. Um, passive activism. Yeah. <laughs> passive activism. No. Um, I also have not, I think there's only like one Boba guys I can think of, if not two and, and one's at canal street and the other one might be like near, uh, like Dumbo downtown Brooklyn. But I, I, it's so rare to find one. Like I normally see a lot of like Kung Fu tea or Gong Cha or, mm. Vivi, that's like the third one I see the most. Mm. Yeah. So so very passive boycotting already. Yeah. Okay. All right. So for our next topic, we're still sticking to California. Uh, Headline is, these incarcerated organizers won their freedom. Now they face deportation. So, you know, Jerry and I have talked in the past about a lot of Southeast Asians constantly getting deported. And part of the reason why it's important is because 
um, CRAC, this center that talks about South Asian, uh, Southeast Asian deportations, um, they always talk about one of the main issues to getting the word out is East Asians not talking about it. Which <laughs> so like, so it's oh. our responsibility. Yeah. It's, 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 like, it's like an Asian version of uh, white guilt. <laughs> yeah, exactly. East Asian East guilt. Asian guilt. <laughs> yeah, but I'm like, all right, all right, all right. We, we got to, you know, when something comes out, we'll talk about it. So this article, it was a great profile on four, you know, Southeast Asian organizers. They're all part of the Asian Prisoner Support Committee. And it just like showcases all four of their stories, like detailed life stories about where they started and how they end up. Very, very traumatizing for each one. And I'm like, wow, this highly recommend reading. But basically the issue is they served prison time for, you know, the, the, the crimes they committed. But at the moment with the way things are legally, they have to serve a second. Um, they're like punished twice. Like they, even after they serve their sentence, they can still be deported under ICE and given additional punishments. People often call this a double punishment. Uh, I'll leave it at that for now. Jerry, what's one that you had on this article? I just, I feel like as this could be like a bipartisan issue or maybe like I just don't understand the Republican mind well enough. But like, okay, this is how I see it. If you're using my tax dollars to put this person in prison for several years, even decades, then I would argue that to deport them would be a waste of my fucking money, right? Because, like, mm, the, yes, the prison did the job. Yes. So, quote, it's yeah. job, right? Like, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Abolish the prison. Okay, <laughs> well, we have prisons, okay? And these yeah. Asian people are in prisons. Um, and, like, you hear, you know, I like Aaron said, I strongly recommend uh, reading this article. I mean, the first guy alone, it, his story was pretty wild. He entered the U.S. as a refugee with permanent legal status, which is, you know, not a happy reason to come to the United States. Um, and then he was, like, bullied incessantly and then survived a school shooting? And, like, it's yeah. just, like, really traumatized. He's just, like, one of four um, really, like, uh, incredible profiles about organizers. And um, I don't know, like, just, like, he taught himself how to read in prison. He's a certified rape crisis counselor. He works with like a lot of advocacy organizations. Like just the, like, I feel like, you know, we talk about prison abolition and blah, blah, blah. But like within prison, like, and like people who defend prison, right? It's, they're like, oh, well, it's supposed to change the person. I feel like, you know, this is a star example that that quote. Yeah. You know, I don't want to say worked, but like, it's a he's a good candidate for yeah like yeah. more like exception to what prison yeah. generally does to you but yeah i can see like yeah and and this guy even before he came to america he also witnessed shootings as a kid so basically just very lots very trauma yeah lots of shooting lots of very traumatized people from like you know thailand cambodia philippines um who all you know something happened to them as a teenager in america they were all tried as adults under the california system which was like super worried about like super criminals at the time which is why they were charging teens as adults uh and and yeah it's it's just a pretty fucked up system highly recommend reading but yeah i mean i i agree with you that this this feels like a bipartisan issue like you know whether you're democrat or republican and leaning you know southeast asian especially it's like yeah i mean in either argument i'm like there, I, there should be more bipartisan support for not deporting them after they serve their sentence already but uh, sadly, the bill that was supposed to do this, the Vision Act, it actually did not pass. It was three votes short um, in this recent year. Hmm. Okay. 
Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I I feel like each time we cover, uh, you know, cases related to Southeast Asian deportation, they they get more and more tragic. I'm like, this this was like leagues above, like, you know, not to compare tragedies like that, but like, I was like, wow, this uh, truly like, this is stuff that many people will not ever see in their life. And it's yeah. like this kid by the age of 10 had already seen more than most adults do by the time they die. Yeah, like, I thought that was uh, one thing that I thought was really striking amongst all the um, profiles um, were that, for the most part, these people were really young when stuff happened to them. And I just, like, I don't know, I think about my own life, and I, 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 I'm I, home, right? So I read my, ch- like, some journals that I had, and I'm like, I was so fucking stupid. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. brain not fully developed. And yeah. it's, just, it's just wild to see. And, like, I, I feel... It makes me kind of sad, like really, really sad, obviously, like, you know, reading about their traumas, but also like just thinking when I hear like, oh, like when I hear like these orgs say, oh, you know, a problem is that East Asians take up so much space. And it's just like, how can you even think about like representation in like TV? Right. When it's just like when like, you know, does that make sense? I know I'm not finishing my sentences, but it's just like it's (laughs) (laughs) it's just so hard to like be like, oh, who the fuck? cares about tv right now and like there are stories like these you know yeah I, I think the way we always put it is that it's fine to care about tv but your care about asian people should not end there like it should go far beyond that and cover this whole spectrum of issues because this is like this kind of deportation is currently still happening under biden you know it happened under trump and it happened a little bit even under obama right so it's true <laughs> I guess the the other side has bipartisan support for deportation. You know, we gotta yeah. <laughs> sadly we we can't get bipartisan support for for no ICE deportation. And like, you know, for you know, some people might be wondering like, what does deportation even do? I'd say you know, it mainly separates families. These people are taken back to countries they haven't been to since they were a kid. They might not speak the language there. You know, you got to basically readjust your life. It's like if we took you and put you in a different country that you know, where you didn't speak the language at all. And we're like, you know, good luck. Uh, <laughs> you know, like, that's like a little bit of context for what it's like. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. F- fucking depressing. I think like, yeah. I feel like a good way to, to um, end this topic is to mention like, it's a little cheesy, but I really admire the work that like um, the Asian prisoner support committee does. Cause like, it really feels like, the epitome of like love and community right like a lot of these people um Mm, went through the system themselves a lot of them are southeast asian um and i feel like they've really built a support system because like aspc like after someone is released from incarceration they'll take in this like asian person and like help them get readjusted back to society after spending like most of their childhood behind bars um so yeah yeah exactly just check them out uh asian prisoner support committee on instagram they may also have a Twitter, but same name. Hey, if you're still listening to this podcast right now, thank you for making it this far. Um, just want to do a quick shout out. Uh, sorry, quick plug. If you like our podcast, please take a few seconds on your phone to go to Apple or Spotify and click five stars. That really helps us out. Um, and if you really want to support us, also, you can uh, feel free to donate on Patreon at patreon.com slash politically Asian. Um, we're currently raising money to, you know, provide episode transcriptions, get a video editor and uh, more. All right. Back to the episode. All right. Let's move on to the next topic. So 
you know, we were just talking about Asian entertainment, and we actually do have uh, some general news about, you know, Asian entertainment. We'll, we'll be talk- talking about two different stories, but just kind of, you know, maybe a little bit together. Um, I'll, I'll just start with the first one. So there was this play on Broadway called K-Pop, and obviously it's a Broadway show about K-Pop, and it closed in just two weeks. There's been a lot of drama about this show and why it canceled. Was it racism? Was it something else? But that also happened around the same time uh, that Blockbuster, this show on Netflix about the last Blockbuster, um, also got canceled. And this was also led by Randall Park, who's also Korean, you know, Korean-American. So just a lot of different things, you know, mainly led by Korean people getting canceled right now in the entertainment space. We thought we'd just kind of talk about them together. Uh, Jerry, what's one thought you had about this? You know, one or the other or both? I'm sad about K-pop because I did I did want to see that, um, and I don't I don't think I'm gonna get a chance to before they close, um, mm. which is sad. But uh, I I would be surprised if block like I'm not surprised Blockbuster the series like ended like there's only so far you can take that like the, the premise of that I think yeah. you know what yeah. did you think the the last episode of that Blockbuster series will be Netflix swooping in to cancel them. And then, uh, and, yes. then, <laughs> and then and then it gets very meta where they start the Netflix in that show starts making a show about the blockbuster. But um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, I think the key question that, um, you know, to talk about and, and what I liked was like, especially with Asian led entertainment, people are always like, was it canceled because it was bad or because of racism? Mm. And I think that's a key question, especially as we get more entertainment. To be honest, like when I read you know, all these stories, I think in both cases, it just sounded like, um, or also with K-pop just first, it's that it, it sounded less like racism and more like they just didn't have a lot of time to prepare because they had a lot of COVID cases from the Mm -hmm. performers. They lost a lot of money very quickly and their marketing agency, um, they, they kind of were marketing to the, the wrong demographic of like traditional Broadway, more white, you know, more, you know, older crowds, more male, they, they may not care about this stuff as much. So to me, I was like, this is less racism and just more, a lot of logistics that were not set up properly, mm-hmm. um, as like a learning lesson for the first time. I'm sure if they tried this again, it, it might be better over time. Yeah. I, um, I think it's hard because when I think of Broadway and I, I imagine like someone listening might be like, well, that's what K-pop is in the show is like trying to change. I feel like when I think of Broadway, it's like very white, you know, like who, who is a Broadway fan? Oh, it's, it's, it's a white, like the average Broadway fan is like a white person. Yeah. You know what it's, I mean? It's, yeah, yeah. It's always like a, a white person. I imagine. Okay. I was going to say younger, like a NYU theater grad. And, not even. You know, oh, not even. Yeah, just like a white person. Yeah, yeah exactly. And, I mean, like, so the last Broadway show that I went to was 1776, not the year, like the, the play is called. 1776 mm. that was not the mm-hmm. yeah and maybe it was because it was the 2 p.m showing but it was also the weekend and i it was literally all old white people like, oh wow so i'm <laughs> i'm not <laughs> surprised because like think about it dude like these people are probably like vietnam vets or you know like deployed in japan and world war ii like they don't, they don't want to see a bunch of asians on stage they, they'll probably <laughs> you know what i mean like it's just like that's not that's not like a, 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 a comment against K-pop is just like the audience. I think, or traditional Broadway is like not 
for you know yeah they're like yo this isn't a play this is the battlefield like it might trigger yeah, something no, in them oh, yeah yeah it's, especially with all the flashing lights of k-pop you know it's right like, <laughs> just truly some ptsd going on in the <laughs> that's, so, that's actually pretty funny yeah um yeah that's true that's that's a, a really good point um yeah i mean that's pretty hard to change i was also going to say like i I I never associated Broadway with, uh, I'd say, like, more nonfiction plays, if that makes sense. Like, I always think, like, Lion King and, like, Wicked, you know, they're about, like, very fantasy-oriented things. I'm not sure if that played a role at all, but I was like, maybe? Um, that, that was just, like, one thought I had about the play itself, like, topic-wise. Fiction? You're telling me that Hamilton didn't know how to rap? Aaron, yeah. <laughs> yeah, come exactly. on. <laughs> yo, yo, the funniest thing I read about the marketing was like Hamilton's doing better than K-pop. And I was like, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> this is not, not Lin-Manuel Miranda's thing. Yeah. yeah. Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, no. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's funny. Hamilton rapping. Yeah, I guess just, I guess the just, only bars. I was going to say, maybe we just need like a... <laughs> get crucified for this an entire reproduction of hamilton and everyone is asian <laughs> yeah exactly yeah they do have some asian people like i know um his name's like jin ha he was playing george washington one time so they had asian george washington uh they had I an guess. asian hamilton uh mark oh. mark delacruz oh. yeah oh he, nice he, nice nice yeah filipino um and, uh. <laughs> and jin, jin ha was also um yeah they've they've both like done the leading like leading roles so i just i don't know but it's not like people are like i, I mean i i said i want to go see hamilton because there's an asian hamilton yeah, i don't think exactly. many people are saying that though so it is, i don't know where where, yeah. where are the korea boos when you need them <laughs> yeah exactly um here's one thing that i thought was actually interesting wanted to hear your thoughts so the off-broadway version um or the broadway version was more like very very positive they wanted it to be like a star is born with lady gaga that kind of narrative the off-Broadway version actually went into some of the, uh, let's say, the the, the, the industry issue, the darker parts of the industry of K-pop, the plastic surgery, the abuse, the labor, the mental health issues. You know, I'm I'm sure anyone who actually follows the K-pop scene in depth knows about all this stuff already. The producer said we intentionally swayed away from that because we didn't want to show any of that Asian suffering. You know, that's like part of the the white gaze is what they said. Um, oh, no. I personally was like, I don't. I don't think that's true. Like, I think you can have a Broadway play that shows the positives and also the negatives and it makes it a more holistic image. But what was your thought on that comment? Yeah, I mean, it sounds like the white gaze got you anyway, right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> I mean, touché, it's... Touche, yeah. Right? Like, it's almost yeah. like you shouldn't have changed anything anyway because, like, I mean, you know, to each their own. I, I think, like, if you had something to say, though, say it with your chest and just because you get more at you move up i don't think you should change that because like what what do we what do we take away from this right like you changed your message and they still didn't come you still didn't get yeah them, right yeah exactly and i was also like by not including the negative stuff i feel like that's also a different asian stereotype of trying to be like very like saving face like model minority type stuff it's yeah. like oh, we, we're not we're not trying to show you the bad stuff you know we're just trying to show you only the good stuff in this Asian scene. Like, that's also, like, a bit of a stereotype. What? But, yeah. I, I don't understand. Like, what do you mean? Like, what do they mean by, like, not showing Asian suffering? Like, I... 
do you think we suffered in crazy rich Asians? Like, I don't understand. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. But yeah, that's a uh, little bit of the scene. N- not much to say about Blockbuster. I just thought it was funny that I truly think this was just, I mean, I watched the first episode. I thought it was okay at best. Terrible <laughs> reviews on Rotten Tomatoes. And even the last actual Blockbuster store where this show was based on, they tweeted saying this was the worst thing they have ever done for money. Um, <laughs> oh, wow. Netflix has done for money. I was like, okay, that shit is really fucking funny if even they don't like it. It, it definitely sounds like a project that a CEO would be like uh, with with fuck you money like aha like you know you we tried to like get you guys to buy us and now we have the rights to your show like blah 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 like we're gonna do this whether it does well or not we don't care it's it's like a passion project kind of thing yeah very uh throwing uh kicking a person while they're down throwing salt on a wound type situation Mm. Mm -mm yeah All right, well, moving, uh, speaking of salt on the wound, uh, so student loan (laughs) borrowers thought that they were getting relief, and now courts have put their lives on hold. So people applied to get their student loans approved, and now the courts are freezing any kind of relief because um, they're taking on two cases to see if this debt relief is actually legal. Aaron, what are your thoughts on this entire situation? Yeah. So uh, for anyone new to the issue, basically Biden in uh, October had passed this student debt relief bill that would cancel debts for about half of Americans who have them. Everyone was at the time, everyone was like, he could be doing more. He could be canceling it all, which is true. Um, But even with this halfway point, it's being held up because there are two federal courts, like Jerry mentioned, that are suing the Biden administration and now this thing has gone to the Supreme Court, and they're not deciding this until February 28th. Mm. But my short answer is like, dude, this also had a lot of profiles from different students, and it sucks that like some people they were given like fifteen thousand dollars, sixteen thousand dollars, um, just as like a just like a lump sum in their bank for all the student that they are already paid, and they're like, oh, nice, finally I can turn my life around. But now with this thing on pause the banks are asking for that money back. So it's like now they have to give all that money back. And I'm like, that is just so disappointing. And I'm sure it's making a lot of people disillusioned with whether Biden can actually do anything or not without the Supreme Court just, you know, nullifying it like a month later. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's pretty shitty, too. Like right before the holidays. Yeah. You know, I was going to say, like, that's the time you need the most money to spend. Right. I um, I I was reading about it and. There's a lot of technical things going on here. Like, it sounds like because people had to apply for the debt relief, um, that's what gave Republicans the opportunity to be like, ah, ah, ah. And it's it's almost like that application was basically saying, if you make over $125,000, you can't get this relief. Um, and I'm not trying to defend rich people here, okay? Let's be clear. And first off, 125000 like, I know that's a lot of money, like, but like for some people that's also like it's also like not a lot of money i don't know anyway um what i'm trying to say is they should have just forgiven everything like regardless it's too much work to just be like mm, you get it you don't does this person like yeah. me do they not you know like flower picking the flower petals like it's just just relieve everything <laughs> yeah i see what you mean this profile it covered a lot of people who are also kind of like middle-aged to elder like some people are like 60 65 yeah it was parents Parents with student loans. Yeah, parents, like, and I'm like, holy shit, they've been paying off student loans for 40 years. That's longer than we've been alive, just constantly paying 
debt it's so frustrating and you know college has also gotten a lot more expensive than like uh one profile was 40 years ago so like 1980s tuition was about three thousand dollars a year which if we convert three thousand to today's money it's about like nine thousand ten thousand but the reality is today's college is not nine thousand or ten thousand dollars it's more like fifty thousand dollars you know forty to fifty thousand dollars so it's just the rate at which college tuition is rising is is more rapid and like it's it's just a totally different landscape more and more people have higher amounts of debt and everyone just has like no hope that biden will be able to maintain the student debt cancellation because like if the supreme court says it's wrong the biden administration has like start literally all over with the federal student debt thing i want to comment on like the whole uh people who have debt from like 40 years ago, I think that's like super bad. And what's interesting is like the boomers are always like, oh, when I was your age, I worked a job and that's how I paid for college. But like if there are people also from like the boomer generation who still have student debt, I feel like that's a problem. I feel like, you know what I mean? Like even they weren't able to do it. So how do you expect our generation to be able to do it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, that's a good. That should also be a unifying message for everyone. Um, and also, the people suing are not that old. You know, I, I, they're not like old. I, I, I saw photos of them um, in a news article. They look like about thirty or so. But it's, it's always like people who they were like, oh, well, I paid off my student debt, so that means everyone should be able to do it as right. well. their argument is like um oh well if if i did it like um if, if we relieve student debt now like what does that say about people who already paid it off like what do they get i remember i made yeah. like a, i made a tiktok about this because i thought that line of thinking was so stupid it's like oh if we stop voldemort now what about all the people he avada kedavra you know it's like so yeah. stupid i don't i don't understand that thinking at all like you want other people to suffer because you did like, yeah, yeah. It's like ending suffering. Cause we suffer. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, <laughs> there are some Forbes articles with details about each one of the cases. We won't go into details, but they're, they're pretty related to like finances for particular conservative States. But yeah, personally, I'm just like, whenever I hear a piece of good news from Biden, I, I don't really celebrate it that much anymore. Cause I know with the conservative Supreme court, like, it, it seems like nothing matters you know it's like i'm like the, <laughs> nothing really me, matters the, yeah yeah like to me the lesson of 2022 is like supreme court actually matters a lot you know like more so than having a democratic majority and a democratic president is like a conservative supreme court that stays there for life yeah yeah i don't even know no comment like just no comment. Yeah. just yeah <laughs> yeah Okay, well, speaking of just, yeah, I'm just kidding. let's go on to the fifth topic. So our last topic for this episode, uh, it's about gamers. So if you're a gamer, start listening right now. Specifically, um, this is about a merger potentially between Microsoft and Activision Blizzard. So for some context, Microsoft, you know, they own Xbox in terms of gaming. Activision Blizzard, one of the biggest gaming companies in the industry, you know, Call of Duty, World of Warcraft, Overwatch, Starcraft, Guitar Hero, and Candy Crush. You know, I'm, I'm sure someone has played one of those games. I have that in my games. notes, too. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm like, not Candy Crush. Like, fuck all the other games. Candy Crush. But they're trying to combine. And so this, um, the FTC, the Federal Trade Commission, as well as a separate group of 10 gamers, they are both <laughs> suing Microsoft and Activision to try to prevent this merger, which will basically 
what they say cause a monopoly in terms of the games and especially game prices and all this other stuff. Jerry, what's one thought you had about the situation? <laughs> I mean, also not Candy Crush, oh, yeah. but <laughs> I um yeah, I was I have a lot of thoughts about this one. It's mostly confusion because I think I initially thought it would be bad for games i think microsoft will just take all those games and make them solely like xbox windows only mm-hmm. um i'm but it was like announced that the unions like the the afl cio and cwa both support the acquisition uh-huh. um which i was just like okay so good this is this is the ftc is bad i don't know no 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 um, no no <laughs> um, well yeah. I mean, I was going to say, you know, if a large traditional union like the CWA supports it, that doesn't mean union good, right? Like, I That's always true. flash back to New SEIU, York City home yeah, care yeah, workers, yeah. SEIU, big traditional union, truly working against the workers. So, like, in my opinion, it's like the union might be supporting them because they are personally benefit financially from this. Mm. But, you know, the per- the people getting screwed over will be consumers still. Oh, um, I see what you're saying. Okay. Yeah, so in my mind, I'm like, I, yeah, I don't hold that to any weight. Um, but That's fair. Yeah, because on the FTC side, one of the reasons we're trying to prevent this is because Microsoft, um, they have done this in the past with a smaller studio called ZeniMax. Uh, yeah. Z-E-N-I-M-A-X. They, they were and, the ones that recently unionized. Oh, okay, okay, I didn't know that. But yeah, after Microsoft acquired them, they basically made their games exclusive to Xbox and Microsoft and not on PlayStation. And they're like, okay, that's a clear example of what happens when you're acquiring things. You're just, you know, making them only on one platform, uh, may, you know, making it harder to get a wide diversity of different gaming systems and games. Yeah. But yeah. Okay, that's that's a very good point. Thanks for bringing that up. Um, yeah, I think the other thing to point out is it uh, this this is happening just on the heels of the whole Taylor Swift Ticketmaster thing, right? Where everyone's like, oh fuck that, like the Ticketmaster Live Nation merger or whatever that yes. screwed everyone over. Um, I I think that's like, that's interesting. And then the fact that um, in that instance with Ticketmaster, it was the Department of Justice who like screwed things up, right? Like yeah. they were like, you promise you won't do bad things? And Ticketmaster was like, yes, fingers crossed. Um, yeah. And then, but this time it's the FTC, it's the Federal Trade Commission. And I, I think it'll be interesting to see how that shakes out. And one thing to know is that the FTC is chaired by Lena Khan. Um, she is a, a lawyer of Pakistani descent, and she has ex- an extensive career in like anti-monopoly work. Like Amazon hates her. <laughs> yeah. See, this is a very cool Asian person to talk about. I'm like, if if we ever make an Instagram, you know, graphic on, you know, Asians are doing cool shit. This. This should be one person, you know, privately. I'm like, okay, is Lena also a gamer? You know, that's, what rank are you, you know, like on like Overwatch, but <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's pretty cool. Like she's, she's challenging them directly. And yeah, I thought the group of gamers also suing Microsoft Activision for the same reason is, is also like pretty funny. Cause it's like, you know, most gamers, they just hang out on discord. Right. But yeah, this group of gamers, they're suing Microsoft. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> Discord yeah. chat popping off on this one. Yeah, I know, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't buy it at all. I mean, Microsoft is like, oh, if we acquire, you know, this company, this deal will expand competition and create more opportunity. I'm like, 
Since yeah, that part has, I don't get. <laughs> yeah, when has Monopoly ever created more competition? Like, when we all play the board game, you know, when you have all the properties of the same color, you can buy houses and hotels just to make them more expensive, right? It's harder and harder to, like, um, you know, rival that, like, in terms of, like, the amount of money that you're getting. Uh, yeah. It just, to me, it's like, when you have a Monopoly, you can ramp up the prices, create exclusivity, and it's bad for consumers so that's what i currently think about this whole situation regardless of like what a union says because i'm like the gamers are saying this the mm, ftc amazon hates is saying this like all that's the people true. who the big corporations hate are saying this thing i'm like okay i i believe that this is not good yeah uh um an enemy of my enemy is a friend is is what the saying yeah, is exactly. right <laughs> yeah and and they're targeting a large base like Candy Crush, you know, like <laughs> the, the, like the amount of like people that I see still playing that on the subway. Yeah. I'm just like the chokehold this has on like middle aged America. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, dude, this is if Candy Crush, you know, if the app suddenly only becomes available on like one platform, or if they start jacking up the prices, you're making like millions of people mad about this. Like, I cannot believe how many games Activision Blizzard has. It's like almost every single game you've you've played in your life like all these big big brands yeah yeah, yeah. okay well yeah that's a, that's a good point about the unions um and i will say you know the ftc does have um uh, when i texted you about like how there's there's like three they, talking about the history of the ftc and asian americans there there have been like three that were like pretty pretty cool and leftist i would say they don't identify as leftist out loud but I feel like their their work kind of says they are. So yeah, exactly. Definitely something to dig uh, into. Yeah, we'll just, I mean, I can just say the names real quick at least. But yeah, one of them is named uh, Rohit Chopra. Um, he spent a lot of his career about student loan reform within the FEC. And then Dennis Yao, who was questioning Microsoft's monopoly power uh, so much that Bill Gates just got really angry and started yelling and calling him a socialist and a communist. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, you're doing something right. You know, like right. I know, <laughs> Bill Gates is a piece of shit. Like, you know, you know, Google Bill Gates, you know, vaccine. Patent, vaccine hoarder. Like, 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 yeah. Like, like there, there's so much going on there, but all right. And, uh, you know, shitting on Bill Gates is a great way to end this episode. So thank you so much for listening. If you want to support us, please, please give us five stars on Apple or Spotify. Um, Apple Podcasts more so because it's so hard to get reviews on there. Yeah, five stars on Apple or Spotify. If you want to support us on social media, you can follow us on Instagram at Politically Asian Podcast, on Twitter at Politic Asian Pod. Feel free to send us hate mail or, you know, fan mail to politicallyasianpodcast at gmail.com if that's your thing. But yeah, thanks for listening. Um, so we will not have an episode for New Year's, again, just because holidays, you know, enjoy the New Year, resolution, et cetera. But yeah, we will be back on, on Tuesday, January 10th with a new episode. All right. Thanks for listening and bye. bye. Nice. Nice. <laughs>